For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jesus Stories, episode number 23, Ministering and Teaching in Sin City. Our last episode left Jesus and his followers headed off toward Caesarea Philippi. This is probably a trip these followers never expected to make. The city would have been the equivalent of a modern-day sin city, say Las Vegas in the United States. It was only about 25 miles north of Capernaum, Jesus' adopted hometown, but it was a decidedly non-Jewish city. It was known for pagan worship, particularly of the gods Baal and Pan. Three springs came together in a cave to form the Jordan River. The people of the city believed that this cave was the gate to the underworld. The gods were thought to travel through these caves and waters from this world to the underworld. The question is, why would Jesus bring his disciples to this location? They would not have gone there on their own, but we're going to find out in today's Jesus Stories why they are there. And that's what you're listening to, Jesus Stories, the podcast which tells the stories and teaching of the life of Jesus without preaching to you. This podcast is listener-supported. It is the donations of listeners which keep this podcast going, and a special thanks to those who have donated and continue to donate. If you'd like to join this group, go to the website, jesusstories.info, click on the Support This Podcast tab, and then click on the Donate button. You can make a one-time donation or commit to a monthly donation. This is through PayPal. And if you would prefer to donate another way, send me an email. Tell me how you'd like to do it. Write to narrationbygeorge at outlook.com or send me a DM through Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media site I'm on. You'll find them all listed in the show notes and links on the website as well. I will get back to you. So, what are Jesus and his disciples doing in the region of Caesarea Philippi, or in Sin City? Jesus has some very important teaching to share with his disciples here, and such a setting will contrast the culture and the surroundings with his teaching and definitely make a permanent impression upon his disciples. So, as they come to the region, Jesus asks his disciples an interesting question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what are people saying about me? 
The disciples say that some think he's John the Baptist, others think he's Elijah or Jeremiah or another one of the prophets. And Jesus counters with, who do you think I am? Simon Peter is the one who jumps in with the answer, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus' reply to Simon Peter is both important and controversial. Let me read it to you in full. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So let's deconstruct this reply. First, Jesus pronounces a blessing on Simon Peter. This revelation, Jesus says, comes from Jehovah God, quote, my Father in heaven, end quote, not from anyone on earth. Then Jesus states, you are Peter. See, Jesus is changing Simon's name to Peter. This name is rendered in the Greek language in which the New Testament is written, means small stone. It's also a masculine noun. And then Jesus goes on further to say, upon this rock, I will build my church. And this is where the controversy begins. Some will say that the rock that Jesus is building his church upon is Peter as the first head of the church. Others point to the word rock and say that this is not the same rock that Peter is called. This rock refers to a massive boulder, and it's also a feminine noun. So this language could not mean that Peter is the rock upon which the church is built. These folks point to the statement of Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and state that this is the true rock upon which Jesus will build his church, this statement, this confession. There is also a school of thought that says that Jesus was pointing to himself. Jehovah God and Jesus are referred to as the rock in various places in Old Testament writings. I'll leave all of this for you to mull over. All of these interpretations could be correct, or maybe you might prefer one over the other. Jesus continues. He says, I will build my church. Now, this is the first mention of church in the New Testament. This word church does not refer to a building. It was the word for a group of people who were called out for a particular purpose. And Jesus says, as he continues talking about his church, the powers of hell cannot conquer it. It will stand and even actively be on the offensive against this power of Satan. Then Jesus gives his apostles access and authority. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Later in the history of the church, these disciples will be the keys not only for establishing the church, but for bringing in outsiders, non-Jewish peoples, to become members of this church, this called-out group. And what they forbid or permit will be in accord with what is forbidden or permitted in heaven. 
And then Jesus closes his teaching by warning his disciples not to disclose his identity to anyone else. From this point, Jesus will tell his disciples plainly what was about to happen in his life. He knows that he must go to Jerusalem, the city he has been avoiding, and suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders, the leading priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and that he would be killed. But he says that he will be raised from the dead on the third day. Peter, though, takes Jesus aside to correct him. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Now, I'm sure Peter is expressing what the other disciples were also thinking. We don't want the rabbi we love to be killed. He could even be thinking that the death of Jesus would end this movement to establish a new kingdom, a kingdom which would overthrow Rome and thus freeing Israel. Jesus turns to Peter and reprimands him, calling him Satan. Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. In other words, Peter, you're not thinking like God now. You're thinking like my enemy, Satan. Jesus turns to his disciples and delivers a teaching on what it will cost to follow him. First, he says, you have to give up your own way. You have to be willing to lose your life. But if that happens, you'll save your life. After all, what will you have if you had the whole world at your feet but lost your soul? Nothing. Nothing is worth more than your soul. If you're ashamed of or embarrassed of Jesus and his message now, then Jesus will be ashamed of you when he returns with his angels in his Father's glory. And he concludes, some of you will see the kingdom of God come in power. Six days later, Jesus takes Peter and the brothers, James and John, up on a high mountain. There is confusion about which mountain Jesus would have taken these three, but there are actually four different possibilities. So let's just concede that we have Jesus and his three closest disciples together alone on a high mountain. Then the scriptures tell us, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. That must have been a sight. The word used for transform or transfigured in some translations is the same as metamorphosis. This is the idea of being changed from the inside out. But that was not all. Moses and Elijah appear and begin talking with Jesus. Now, Moses and Elijah are two characters from the Old Testament. Moses is the one through whom Jehovah God delivered his law to the people of Israel. Elijah is a prophet who came to the people of Israel when they were straying from the law to bring them back to obedience. Furthermore, Moses has told the people of Israel that Jehovah God would bring them a prophet like himself— he should be listened to. Another prophet, Malachi, told Israel that Elijah would come. And Jesus explained that Elijah was John the Baptist. He's already explained that. These characters are major figures in the history of the people of Israel. Luke tells us that the three were speaking together about Jesus leaving the earth from Jerusalem. Peter jumps in, just like Peter will do. 
This is great, he said. Let's build three memorials here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And as he's speaking, a cloud envelops them and a voice speaks. This is my dearly loved son who brings me joy. Listen to him. This terrifies the three disciples who fall down upon the ground. Jesus goes over to them and he touches them. Get up, he says, don't be afraid. They do and find that Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is the only one there with them. They start back down the mountain, and Jesus tells them not to tell anyone about this incident until he has been raised from the dead. The disciples ask him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responds by telling them that Elijah has already come. He wasn't recognized. He was abused. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. The disciples then recognized that he was talking about John the Baptist. Jesus and his three disciples join the other disciples. There's a large crowd gathered around them. Some teachers of the law are arguing with them. The crowd runs to meet Jesus when they see him coming. Jesus asks about what is happening, and a man speaks up. Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk, and whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus then probably has an eye-roll moment. We read that he says, what a generation, no sense of God. How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Can you see the eyes rolling? I can. Jesus asks for the boy to be brought to him. He is. And when the evil spirit inside the boy sees Jesus, it throws the boy into a violent convulsion. He falls to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asks, how long has this been going on? Since he was a little boy, says the boy's father. Then he explains that the spirit will throw him into fire or into water in an attempt to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us, if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asks. Anything is possible if a person believes. The boy's father responds, I believe, just help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus rebukes the evil spirit, commanding him to come out of the boy and never enter him again. The spirit screams, throws the boy into another violent convulsion, and leaves him. The boy looks to be dead. The crowd thinks he is anyway. But Jesus takes the boy by the hand and helps him up to his feet. Later, Jesus and his disciples are alone together. The disciples ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus responds, because you didn't have enough faith. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. This kind can only be cast out by prayer. Jesus and his disciples traveled back south into Galilee, but Jesus wanted to stay out of sight. He didn't want people to know he was there. 
his desire was to spend more time with and teach more to his disciples, he continued telling them that he was going to be betrayed and killed, but he would be raised from the dead three days later. They didn't understand what he was telling them and were afraid to ask him what he meant. Finally, they all arrive at Capernaum and settle in a house. The disciples had been having an argument while they were walking about which one of them was the greatest. Jesus asked them what they had been talking about, but they didn't answer him. If I'd been in that argument, I don't think I would want to say anything either. So he talks to them. He says, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he tells them a parable. When a servant comes in from his work, does his master say, Come, sit down and eat with me? No, he tells the servant to prepare a meal and serve him as he eats. You'll eat later. Does the master thank the servant for his work? No, of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, We are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Jesus is addressing this idea of humility, but now he illustrates by calling a little child to him. He puts him among the disciples and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you welcome a little child in my name, you're welcoming me. And if you welcome me, you welcome my Father, Jehovah God, who sent me. But if you cause one of these little ones to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be drowned in the sea. Don't look down on these little ones. Their angels are always in the presence of my Father. And he tells them another parable. Suppose, he says, a man has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders off. What will he do? He leaves the ninety-nine others and goes to find that lost sheep. And when he finds it, he'll be happier about that sheep than the ninety-nine who stayed with him. That is how Jehovah God feels about these little ones. While Jesus expresses his father's concerns over the little ones, he also has words for those who are older who tempt people into sin. Temptations are inevitable, he says, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? If your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to sin, it is better for them to be gone than to have all your appendages and wind up in hell. Everyone will be tested. Then, using a Jewish custom, he says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Salt was used as a preservative as well as seasoning, and Jews were required to use salt on their sacrifices since it also spoke of purity. Basically, Jesus is saying that if your salt is not salty anymore, what can you do? You can't make it salty again. If you lose your purity, what use are you to Jehovah God? John turns to Jesus with this report. Jesus? We saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. This person was apparently not a part of the group that John was considering as being authorized to do the work that Jesus and his apostles had been doing. Jesus has a different take on this. Don't stop him, Jesus says. 
no one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. In other words, if someone is performing miracles in my name, he is on my side. In fact, if someone were to do something as small as giving you a glass of water in the name of Jesus, they will be rewarded. With his disciples arguing among themselves and then about someone doing Jesus' work who is not a part of the group, Jesus turns to conflict resolution. Bet you didn't know that was in the scriptures, did you? You'll find it in Matthew chapter 18. Let's walk through it. Jesus says, if you find that there's a believer who sins against you, then you go to that person privately and talk with them about the offense. The goal is to resolve the issue, to win this person back. If the other person listens and agrees, then the job's done. But what if they don't agree? Now it's time to take one or two others, witnesses, if you will, to meet with this person. Then the goal's the same, reconciliation. And if the other person listens and agrees, then it's done. It's over with. But what if that doesn't work? Then the offense or sin affects a greater number of people. Jesus says, take your case to the church. In other words, now you're going to involve the others that this affects. The goal is still the same, reconciliation. But if the offender will not repent, then you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's unfailing, forgiving love. Jesus then repeats the authority that the apostles have been given. I tell you the truth, he says, whatever you forbid on earth will have been forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will have been permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers... I am there among them. Now, with that word of truth and comfort, we're going to end today's Jesus Stories episode. These Jesus Stories are brought to you by you. Yes, you. Are you a supporter of the Jesus Stories? If you're not, I encourage you to pray about supporting this podcast and helping to keep it going for the ones who cannot support us. Just go to my website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab. You'll find ways to support us with a donation through PayPal, or you may send me a message if you'd like to support us in some other manner. My email address is narrationbygeorge at outlook.com, or you can DM me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. You'll find links to all the social media accounts in my show notes and on the website. Many thanks to the Sweetens Cove Church of Christ for their great generosity. And one final word. These Jesus stories are being converted to a blog. You'll be able to read these stories and see the references which are behind each of the incidents. That's coming soon to the Jesus Stories website. And don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you will, do the same on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts to help more people find us. Next time, Jesus will do some more teaching, and Jesus will go to Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles and face the religious leaders 
who were still trying to figure out how to stop him and his ministry. Join us in two weeks for some conflict. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details